0: Hi, this is Tim Wright, along with Dr. Michael Green, and we want to welcome you to another edition of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. We're really excited, uh, again, to be uh, dealing with the great questions that you've been sending to us. And uh, we're gonna do two more today, um, and we have so many good ones. And uh, a couple of the uh, questions that we have today are topics that we've touched on before, and this gives us a good chance to go a little bit deeper. And uh, Michael, our first question today uh, comes from a mom, and, um, and here's her question. My daughter starts fifth grade tomorrow. During fourth grade, she had a lot of problems with girls having her do stuff she, sh- she didn't want to do. Uh, she claims that the girls were pulling her where they wanted her, and one girl was literally making a schedule for who and when she would be playing with during recess. Uh, my daughter is certainly on the introverted and agreeable side, but seems to be popular in school. She insists that she's telling them to stop. But I've heard from other friends that she really doesn't say anything. Whatever advice we give her, she immediately shuts down. We've talked uh, about setting boundaries and how her feelings are more important than worrying about hurting the other girl's feelings. I know this doesn't sound like a huge problem, but it is for her. She comes home crying and one day was inconsolable. And we had to reach out to the teacher uh, and uh, with the new school starting, uh, do you have any advice on helping her speak up for herself? Um, we did a podcast not too long ago uh, about uh, something similar to this, and it uh, was the over-compliant, overly compliant daughter. And this is just a little bit different. This isn't so much about a compliant daughter as a daughter who seems to be introverted and has a hard time standing up for herself. So uh, you've had a chance to kind of look at the question. What are some of your initial thoughts?
1: Yeah. I, I feel for the family, I mean it's a it's um as you in the arc of raising your daughters, there are times when they just go along with other other people, especially with alphas. Um they that same daughter may turn out to be an alpha later. I mean this is an interesting thing. And I'm going to first go to my own experience with my daughters, and then I will go to the research. I have some insights, but I just want to just tell some stories, because uh, both of my daughters are st- are very strong, empowered women now as adults, right? They're 26 and 29, but each of them did go through a phase of having a friend who kind of led them along. And to some extent, this is a phase. If if other people are, if parents, if teachers, if other people are saying to this girl, um, who's now in fifth grade? You know, you need to have your own voice. You have your own voice. What's your voice? Uh, what are your boundaries? What, what's, your, what's your moral uh, development? You know, what's immoral about what this person's asking you to do? If we're having this conversation with this daughter who's going through this phase, the likelihood is that this daughter's going to come out of this and um by 6th grade or at some point is going to have more voice and is going to stand up for herself more and so this uh phase that she's in is part of her journey of developing boundaries and um of developing a self and developing a voice so my uh, from the from the point of view of my own kids and then um you know from the point of view of how I view the arc of female development from a sort of research and counseling perspective, I, I think that we ought to approach this as a phase of life and, um, and then just minister to it with adults teaching this girl uh, what boundaries are and what a strong self is, but not, not necessarily worry that you know, this is going to turn into something really b- bad unless the person leading the daughter along is leading the daughter to break the law or something like that, you know, which mm-hmm. isn't happening here. Uh, so bracketing that out, um, I do see this as a kind of phase that we're all going to work with. We're going to repeat the lesson and a year from now, this is going to be a little different.
0: Now, she talks about her daughter uh, being uh, an introvert and being uh, agreeable uh, and yet, seems to be popular in school, which is not an oxymoron by any not stretch at all. of the imagination. That's part of
1: why she's popular. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but talk a little bit about the introverted personality and some of the challenges that they may face uh, in terms of finding their own voice.
1: Yeah, this is this is their challenge. Um, they've they have an introverted personality type, and so they've learned to be successful. They've learned. Um, well, they can sort of, they can withdraw with that personality type and some introverted kids do really withdraw. Um, But this girl's not withdrawing from others, right? She's relating to others um, and she's learned the way to have some, to to not feel anxious, you know, Um, because we want to remember with the introverted personality type, there is a, there's a lot of anxiousness that's um, unconscious or conscious when you're constantly in relationship with others. and, and having your voice actually creates anxiety. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, I, I used to speak with a, a famous speaker. We would do speeches together. I won't say the name. Um, and I'm an extroverted personality. So I would go out and give my speech. I would be live and kicking. You know, I would have double the energy I had before I gave the speech. And then later I would crash. But because of my personality type, I didn't have anxiety about relating with others but this other person who is a great speaker had it was an introvert and so it completely drained her to give that one hour keynote um and it would drain her for like a day or two and it would create constant nervousness and anxiety well that personality type that's how it's set up and so this this girl knows that she's lived in this skin and this personality all the way now until she's probably eleven um she's in now in fifth grade so in that range between 10 and 12 probably 11. so she gets it and the way she's uh worked through it and the way that she softens her own constant anxiety is by being agreeable and getting along and that allows her to relate and not to be too anxious uh so it's going to cause anxiety for her uh, to set boundaries um because she knows she'll get pushback and and that's why she's you know putting it off uh but Hormones are going to kick in. She's going to get stronger, and all these wonderful people are going to be helping her to set these boundaries and have this voice. And so that's why I predict that that even with this personality type, that you know, a year or two from now, we're going to see someone stronger.
0: Uh, years ago. Uh... My wife and I were really intrigued with uh, personality discussions, and and you know you got to have that that pop psychology stuff of uh, personality types, introverts, extroverts, or uh, the leader and uh, the follower, uh, what, whatever words that you want to use. Mm-hmm. And and I know that uh, in, in my own personality type, uh, I'm what's called a professional extrovert. Where when I'm on, I'm really on. Um, but once I'm not on, I just want to go sit in the corner by myself and don't talk to me anymore. Um, I'm not good with with chit-chat, um, but you know, when I'm in a work environment or I'm working with people or I'm at a conference with you, uh, I love to do that. I can do that. Uh, that's part of my wiring. But, man, I just got to go back to the room then and just detox. It's not about nerves. It's just my personality type. Mm-hmm. But then there are some who are like this speaker you're talking about or perhaps this girl. And, and their way of relating to the world really is different. Um, they, they tend to be, uh, not to overgeneralize, but but this personality can sometimes be the peacemaker because they don't want the conflict mm-hmm. uh, that can come. And some of that sounds like that's what's happening here. She's just being agreeable uh, rather than stepping up and doing conflict. So how do you empower a daughter um, who maybe doesn't like conflict, Um who who really does need to step out? What are some some practical things a parent can say to her because she's going to deal with conflict differently than somebody who loves conflict?
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry.
0: Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say so. You know, because the person loves conflict, they're actually looking for it <laughs> sometimes. Where you know the the other per, the introvert or the uh, the more uh, you know passive person just wants to avoid it at all costs.
1: Yeah, you've raised a really neat point. And if the parents, if let's, let's say the parents of this daughter say, well, uh, why don't we pick one thing to work on, you know, to help her? Because, because saying to her, you need to have a voice, right? Uh, Saying something, you got to keep saying it, of course, but saying it isn't as good as doing and, and, and being experiential. So keep saying it. But okay, let's say we chose conflict, and let's say this fit for the parents and this girl. Well, in that case, then what what we probably would do is is try to uptick a little bit of the conflict between someone that's safe for her. Uh, you know, one of the parents who's safe. Uh, maybe their siblings. You know, siblings are safe, and and uptick some conflict so that she's doing conflict with these people. And um, so that we're not always softening the world for her, but we're giving her practice with conflict. And when I talk about bi-strategic parenting, and I, you know, and of course, you and I have talked about this many times, bi-strategic parenting. This is part of it. One very often, one parent is the one who is making sure everything is smooth, and who is who is trying to cut back on conflict, and the other parent um, is doing more conflict. You know, and and this might be a case with this daughter where that parent who's doing more conflict, who's being more authoritative or or whatever, you know, whatever fits that personality might want to not feel guilty about that. Might want to go, oh, well, with this daughter, actually, to empower her, I need to push at her and I need to get her to push back. And that's going to be a way that I help her develop boundaries, you know, developmentally over the next year or two. Uh, because we're n- I'm not going to soften everything for her anymore. I'm not going to overprotect her or always agree with her, you know, because I don't want to hurt her feelings. I think I'm going to put her through some conflict. And she doesn't want to do such and such? No, nope. she has to do such and such. And we can have a conflict about it and see what happens. That's an experiential way to utilize bi-strategic parenting uh, with, an, uh, with an introvert or shy girl um, uh, or boy uh, to use it and see if it works helping her to get a little more resilience and a little more pushback a little more boundaries and and anything like that that we can do rather than say you know because saying is pretty weak compared to doing um if we can do something like that try it for a month see what happens
2: Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy.
0: My wife, and of course you know her, but my wife Jan, is yep. uh, introverted, uh, kind of that phlegmatic, avoid conflict personality type And yet uh, I have learned that beneath that introverted life is a person of real strength. And while she may not handle conflict the way that I do, she does handle conflict with strength. And, um, and there, there's a special way that, that, uh, introverts can tend to do conflict where they have a way sometimes of diffusing it, maybe better than those of us who aren't as afraid of it. And so there's, there's probably some real strength in their daughter. Their, their task is to help their daughter discover that particular strength that she has.
1: Yeah. And it's important they help her discover it over these sort of early to mid adolescent years, um, uh, ex- by talking to her about it, by by framing everything with her, and also by doing some conflict with her, that's important because this personality type can t- can take things personally. Yes. And so, if by you know if we're not if we're not helping her move through this phase that she's in, um, and if other people are not helping her, let's say we all just didn't do anything, I I I think it's possible we would end up with this shy or introverted. Young woman of eighteen, nineteen, wonderful person, but who really takes things very personally, and that might be okay. But by the time she gets in the workplace, or if she gets in a marriage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, partnership. I mean, y- 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 you got to not take everything personally. So I, I think it is. And, and Jan, your your wife, and and of course my wife, Gail, is introverted as well. They're they're very strong, yep. and they they know. Not to take some things personally, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they they know that, but people help them in their formative years, help them to have resilience and to have the strength. Right. So that's the ultimate goal for the parents of this of this girl. I think the ultimate goal is this resilience. Not as, the ultimate goal isn't necessarily that she becomes a leader uh, or that she becomes. Non-compliant or un- disagreeable or anything like that. The old, the old she, could be she's a follower. That's fine. She's going to be great. Uh, but we do want the resilience. So I'm glad you brought that up about conflict.
0: Yeah. So and and I know you talk about this quite a bit in your book, The Minds of Girls, um, and and resilience is yeah. such a it's it's a big word in culture today, um, and for a good reason because we we have uh, a lot of issues with that and it doesn't matter the personality type it's just being strong in ourselves and uh and and learning how to face the world uh that challenges us but to do so with a sense of strength a sense of compassion and goodness uh and yet a sense that protects our core self against people who would maybe want to break us or hurt
1: us yeah oh yes absolutely that's a very that's a beautiful way of putting resilience yeah. and
0: and by the way you talk about it as well in your book for boys as well saving our sons so I highly recommend both of those uh, for parents so I, I before we get to the second question as always we want to refer you to our website it's wonderofparenting.com. And there are a few links on there that I think you might find very helpful. Michael is doing some things on Patreon, which is a subscription service, uh, but you get access to things from Michael that you might not normally get otherwise. And, and some of that has to do with videos, right, Michael?
1: Yeah. And what we're doing with Patreon now is we're using Patreon as your way uh, of donating toward this podcast. So I'm doing I'm, what I'm doing is the video clips on there are answering some of your questions as well as taking on other themes. Um, and and it's you know 10 or 20 dollars a month depending on what level you come in on and and that money is going to this podcast so um it's going to keeping this going so there's a link between what i'm doing there and here
0: excellent and i know that uh, some of the books that you've written uh, are linked there uh, some of the other resources that we've created together. And then a link to our our current sponsor, uh, and that is uh, A Place of Hope, the Center, Dr. Greg Jantz and the good people up in Seattle who do such great work. And we talk about this every week. They do such great work, particularly when we're going through times of crisis and challenge. And so I, if you ever need them, I just encourage you to take a look. Or even if you don't feel like you need them right now, just take a look so you know what they're doing and you you remember them uh, if and when you ever need uh, Uh, that kind of help so we're going to segue to our second question uh which is a similar theme but it's almost the opposite uh so here's this question this is again about a daughter Uh, i have a very independent three-year-old daughter she's very spunky and opinionated Uh, i love that three years old and opinionated Uh, (laughs) my husband and i love her personality and can't wait to see the woman she will grow into someday However, we struggle with her independence when it comes to specific situations where listening to mom and dad is necessary and or beneficial to her. A big example is mealtime. She would be ecstatic to have nothing but mac and cheese, fruit snacks, and cookies as all of her meals, but obviously there is little nutritional value in having the same meal over and over again. My grandkids, all five of them, that's their diet, add in chicken nuggets, and and you've got the perfect meal for them. Um, I give her different things to try, and I think they're pretty standard as far as kid-friendly meals go. Spaghetti, mm, hot dish, sloppy joes, but it feels like a hostage negotiation <laughs> just to get her to take a bite. Uh, the independence also shows up in other scenarios where her safety is concerned. For example, she just wants to run across the street to the playground to play as soon as possible, but we ask her to hold our hand and walk across because there are cars and traffic and it could be harmful. We do our best to explain our choices of why. Cars can't always see you. Vegetables make you happy healthy, and too many sweets make you sick. But the next time we come to the same scenario, she does the same things she did before, and it feels like we're back to square one. I understand she's a kid, and her logic and reasoning is still rather basic at this age. I mean, even as an adult, I was given if I was given the choice of veggies or dessert, I'd pick dessert, too. Uh, we just don't want to quash her independence but still have those boundaries that we'd like to establish to help her grow in, into a respectful adult. That last sentence is really good, isn't it? Oh, I don't yeah. want to quash the independence, but she needs some boundaries to help her grow. So, all right, there's probably a lot of stuff in there. Michael, go.
1: Go. <laughs> yes, I love it. We always read the whole question, but there are yep. like five themes. Yep. Yeah, this is a beautiful counterpoint to the other question, and yet they're two sides of the one coin. I mean, I mix metaphors. So, so here we have a three-year-old who's who's independent and but and the thing that's the same coin is it's about voice right it's about it's about um making sure she has a voice and the parents are uh, what i sense is that the parents don't want to quash her voice they don't want to quash her independence but they want to protect her uh, and and eating junk food uh is dangerous it just sets her up for more neurotoxins later. Now it sets her up for obesity later. I mean, it's we got it. We got to have a varied diet, and we got to give our kids a healthy diet. So this is very protective to want kids to eat eat right and eat what's in healthy that's in front of them. Um, and then, of course, it's very protective to say, "Wait, you got to hold our hand." That's a crucial thing. I and mean, that's that's life and death there. Um, so that's protective, and um, and and then there's. Th- the question of choice. So I want to I weave all these together and say that in this case with this daughter, I, I, think it's, I don't think the voice or independence will be quashed by the parents um, holding more authority. So at least one of these parents, I, I would uh, beg to just say, this is what it's going to be. You know, we're the authority. This is the food you're going to eat and eat this food. Now, if it turns out that she's allergic to something, okay, that's a separate category. but, but you know, you got to eat this food because if she eats mac and cheese, mac and cheese, you know uh, twice a day, that's unhealthy. That's gonna lead toward problems for her later in life. Um, so I think absolutely hold that and just hold it. and and the, the three-year old does not need a voice. The three- year- old does not need a choice in that area. Because this is parent protecting child and parent making sure child is healthy. Um, And in the area of walking across the street, you know, no choice there. Don't give her a choice. You're the authority. She has to hold your hand to walk across the street. If she doesn't, whatever is your timeouts or whatever that is that you have, you institute those. Within, you know, a few weeks, she's going to start holding the parent's hand. That's going to get cured quickly. Um, Because these are areas in which we're protecting the body and the brain of the child, and they're areas in which we do have to hold authority. And they're not areas where we really need to give the child a lot of choice. So that's, that is where I would sit there. And I know that may sound severe. But I think these are two areas where choice is not needed. So let's. Neither one of us are really nutritionists
0: necessarily, but we both uh, are of an age where we've learned that we need to eat healthy, and and we probably both would agree that we wish we'd have started that earlier. Uh, so uh, I, I think about I, I've got uh, a granddaughter who's four, so she is almost the spitting image of the the daughter we're talking about right now. Very very independent, very creative, uh, loves life, but man, it's got to be her way or no way at all. And she can throw a tantrum for an hour if she wants to, uh, to get her way. And um, uh, so we we have that challenge of, you know, she comes over, first thing she wants, macaroni and cheese and, and uh, you know, chicken nuggets. And, and um, so are, are there ways to um, introduce things? Because we recognize I, there are a lot of foods I don't like, and I'm never going to eat them. I'll starve to death before I eat them. It's probably true for a three-year-old. What are some ways to introduce... <laughs> things to children that are healthy for them, and then to find that sweet spot of, yeah, that that green smoothie really works for her, or you know, this fruit plate works. How do you recommend doing that?
1: Well, the first thing I would recommend is that the the parents and the grandparents hold different boundaries. Um, If going to the grandparents' house is like a treat, right? I mean, it's a... uh, you're doing... you're developing her into a person. You absolutely are. And at the same time... um, uh she has a sense of a treat of coming to you and th- it you know what i mean there's yep. there's treats there it's this it's this beautiful unique environment it's not home where mom and dad are so the first thing i would say is for mom and dad to set the boundaries on the mac and cheese and the chicken nuggets and get rid of them at home because they're so unhealthy mm. get rid of them at home but maybe they're a treat at the grandparents in the same way that that um, uh, I for instance my parents were very vigilant about food at home so I would sneak over to my friends house to eat unhealthy <laughs> stuff but what you know that's fine I I am an I am as an adult and have been really into healthy eating I have passed that on to my kids both my girls are really into healthy eating with with their their fiancés they both are engaged now so so it passed on uh, even though there was this other fun environment where those foods were. So that would be strategy one is the parents have to do the hard work and the grandparents get a little of a reprieve. But at the same time, I love your thing about the smoothies and finding the sweet spot. Gradually, you you as grandparents, um, or I'll take you out of it. You should do whatever you want. But gradually, grandparents (laughs) may want to start titrating out these unhealthy foods because they are so unhealthy, and saving our sons' minds of girls, I do lay out a lot of research on that. And of course, fast food nation is the whole book is about about how these the neurotoxin the neurotoxic effect of these foods on the children's brains. So eaten to excess. So um, I would love to see everyone cut out the junk food, but the strategy is the parents do it first,
0: and and not an easy task necessarily, especially if your kids are you know we fed them that stuff now for two, three, four years and then we've we have to slowly wean
1: them off. But it's she's only four though, right? Right. Like right. you're great. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, four four years old. She'll throw some tantrums for a while. Uh just gotta live with those tantrums, you know, a month or two or three from now, whenever it is, she's gonna accommodate. Right. Um she's she's only four. Yeah. So it's not like she's twenty.
0: <laughs> no. And 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 of course this is just one area that the the uh, the question is about and there are yeah. other questions, you know, about safety and, and really the bigger topic is is how to create boundaries. And I, I think more than creating boundaries, it's how do we stick to those boundaries. That's where most of us as parents trip up. We've got good intentions, we put those boundaries in, but when it's a battle of the wills, um, sometimes the kids come out winning, and that's not always the best. So what are some strategies yeah. for keeping that, for, for really holding uh, strong with those boundaries?
1: Okay. Well, if, if the child – well, first of all, we just, we're authoritative parents, not authoritarian parents, not permissive parents. We're authoritative parents. So that means we've set up rules um, that are reasonable rules, and the kids have to stick to those rules. And that's healthy for their development. That structure is healthy for their brain development. So we stay with it. We know that every once in a while, as you've described, it's not going to work. But basically, the kids get used to our authoritative parenting, and they they uh, gradually see the wisdom of it. And so so that strategy one is be an authoritative parent, not a permissive parent, not authoritarian parent, but authoritative. Um, so you've set ten rules. You know. Uh, whatever they are, you've set these 10 rules. That's what we're focusing on. You, we're not going to give you a choice to eat unhealthy food now. That's one of our rules for this month. You have to eat the food that you have to eat. And it won't really be 10. It'll be two or three. And you can no longer run across the street uh, a- anymore. You can no longer do that. Or this is you know going to lead to a timeout. These rules are set. We're authoritative about them. And, um, uh, and then, then if the child throws the tantrum... Okay, we move strategies. If the child throws the tantrum in in public, what I always did if one of my kids threw a tantrum in public is took them right out to the car. They just sat in the car to have their tantrum, because it's it's a you know it's 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 both the way their brain is processing, but it's also power struggle. And if we're an authoritative parent, we want to cut cut back on unnecessary power struggle. Um, and unnecessary power struggle, we want to remember that that's not about them having a voice or about them being, um, uh, are they going to turn out well? You know, no kid should be having constant power struggles with parents. It's not healthy for them uh, to be constantly in a power struggle with the parent. It means that the parent is not authoritative enough. Um, And so, uh, and what the child's learning by being constantly in power struggle is not very good boundaries, right? Uh, right? A lot of these boundaries come from actually not being in power struggle about things that are, that are uh non-essential but the child having to be in a power struggle when the child is you know 12 and needs to start developing independence okay that's a healthy power struggle 13 14 that individuation in adolescence that's healthy power struggle we want that with our child but at three and at four we don't want a lot of power struggle not really great for the kid um uh, again, unless we're being authoritarian parents, that's a whole different kind of parenting that I don't recommend. And in that case, kids have to power circle against us or they don't even have a self. But authoritative parents, uh, not so much. So we cut back on the power circle by setting up these these rituals and setting up these rules. The kids learn these basic rules, and they ultimately go with them. Uh, and then if they if they tantrum in the house, we just they just can go to their room and tantrum. You know, and at a certain point, they realize, huh, I'm not really getting, you know, that, that power circle is not working for me. So um, I guess I'll stop that. And, and gradually, less tantrums happen. Gradually, they go, okay, you know, and then they start picking something else. Based on their personality, they start right. picking something else. But at least the things they're going to pick now are not going to be issues of food or of walking across the street. Those we need to have authoritative rules on.
0: So when you're doing boundary work with kids, um, th- there are consequences, so to speak. You know, you start having a temper tantrum, you go to your room, whatever it might be. Uh, do you also use reward as a way of uh, uh, sticking to boundaries? If, if you do this, then this will be a privilege you get, for example?
1: Um, yeah, yes, but not if it's these basics. Okay. Um, if it's these basics... That that's still power struggle. If we're if we're saying you know if you eat, uh, if the parents, uh, well, let me say this: they're going to try it because it's a natural thing to try. Um, but I would rather that that is saved for other things that are outside the range of these basic rules of life. Like like if you if you hold my hand when you walk across, walk across the street, I'll get you ice cream. I don't think that's a good idea. Got it? Uh, or. I'll get you ice cream if you don't eat mac and cheese. You know what I mean? I mean, I think we have to say, no, no, no. These are basic rules. Uh, y- you're in this family. We're the parents. And by the way, this may fall heavily on one parent, not the other. Again, it's bi-strategic. Parents o- parent their own way. Mm-hmm. And it may be that one parent is more permissive naturally, and it's really hard for that parent to to not be. Uh, but we want to we hope that we've got this other parent who's more authoritative and May be heavy for that parent to have to hold on to it, and then gradually the other parent comes along. So that can happen. You know, this organic in in couples, um, they ought to get together. I think and say which are the ones that we're going to give reward for, and which are the ones we're not. And crossing the street, no reward. That's right, basic.
0: Right. Yeah. And again, part part what we do with reward, and it's it's why your why what what you're trying to say is so helpful for us is. If you reuse reward uh, in the wrong settings, then their behavior is shaped differently than simply common sense. And um, we we want our kids just to make good decisions because they make good decisions, not always because there's a payoff for them at the end. And that's part of what you're suggesting we're trying to teach our kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain amount of intrinsic motivation yep. comes from having to follow these basic rules early in life and, and you know, and being, being kind of admired and accepted for, for doing the right thing, you know, and that later becomes intrinsic motivation for that expanding into the rest of their lives of doing the right thing and of being admired for doing the right thing, um, because they learn, you know, to hold the hand, let's say, going across the street. Well, later that transfers into them leading in some way, mm. you know, they become better leaders by adhering to these rules now. And I know people will think, well, hey, no, really, no, don't they lead by arguing with the parents all the time? But not so, really, not so. They'll have difficulty later being leaders because they won't really understand how to hold authority um, because they didn't model it in their family. Right. They always were given into. And so so this is a big payoff to them following these basic rules now. And that's, for a lot
0: of us, that's what life is anyway, is having to live within boundaries and, um, you know, there are some areas where we can do our own thing, but a lot of times we have to conform uh, to what's going on around us and to do it with dignity and, and understanding. And so these are really important lessons our kids need to learn without, yeah. without saying uh, just trying to get some, uh, some peace in the house again <laughs> when you've got uh, a really independent son or daughter who's, who's really trying to run the household
1: yeah it's it's harder it's absolutely harder with that kind of child but it is very doable
0: yep well michael as always this is such good stuff and we appreciate all of you who listen in and we will be with you again for another episode of the wonder of parenting podcast you can always uh, learn more about us at wonderofparenting.com a lot of great resources there for you and uh, michael thank you so much
1: oh thank you tim thanks
0: everyone thanks everyone